Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, October the 9th. In this month's podcast, we're discussing two trials and a comment concerning asthma and COPD. Let's hear from this month's interviewee introducing himself. My name is Leonardo Fabri. I'm Professor of Respiratory Medicine at the University of Modena and Reggio Emilia and I'm Director of the Department of Respiratory Medicine. Professor Fabri, we're going to discuss benralizumab, published in two trials, and you're the author of a comment in The Lancet Respiratory Medicine. First of all, benralizumab itself is an anti-interleukin-5 receptor human monoclonal antibody, and it has an effect on blood and airway eosinophils. Can you just tell us about its mode of action? Yes, it blocks the receptors. So possibly is, uh, it, it is more effective than... Uh, the monoclonal antibodies uh, against uh, the protein, the, you know, the interleukin itself. The receptors are expressed in uh, more than one cell, certainly eosinophils and, uh, and basophils, but may be expressed also in other cells. By blocking that, uh, it blocks uh, all the recruitment, activation, uh, and mobilization of, um, of eosinophils. So it depletes, uh, it allows the depletion of of uh, eosinophils, uh, both uh, in the circulation and uh, in the bone marrow and uh, in the target tissue, particularly airways and lung. Thank you very much. And so in terms of the background of these studies then, what you've just described in terms of the mechanism there, that's presumably the rationale, the hypothesis as to how benralizumab could have a role in both asthma and COPD, the two trials that we're discussing. Is that right? Correct. I mean, the rationale for development is uh, uh, line of uh, monoclonal antibodies stems from uh, from asthma, where eosinophilic inflammation is the characteristic feature of uh, chronic and acute inflammation in asthma. It reflects uh, the uh, nature of the disease and also the responsiveness of the disease to the anti-inflammatory therapy, particularly with steroids. COPD is uh, more controversial. There are two possibilities. One is that uh, uh, COPD may be associated with asthma. So you have patients uh, that have both the diseases. The other is that uh, clearly defined COPD with no evidence and history of asthma in a 20-30% of, of uh, patients uh, shows some eosinophilia. And that's uh, why the study on uh, COPD. Also in COPD, some patients, uh, when develop uh, the exacerbation of respiratory symptoms, they have eosinophilia. So that's another rationale for addressing this kind of population. Thank you very much. That's very clear. Now, let's discuss the findings. The first study in asthma has been uh, is a very elegant, complex, uh, and uh, comprehensive uh, phase two study that actually asks uh, several questions, particularly the dose. They try, the author tried to identify the dose that is most effective. It was powered on exacerbations uh, and uh, and uh, it was positive. I'm referring particularly to the primary outcomes. So in, in asthma, it's clearly shown that the doses above uh, 25 are positive in reducing the risk of exacerbations over one year. In addition, at variance with uh, the monoclonal antibodies against IL-5 provides uh, more consistent uh, or results uh, on uh, lung function quality of life and asthma control, even if uh, 
This study is a phase two study, needs to be repeated in a properly designed and powered phase three studies with a sufficient number of subjects. The second study was, uh, is a pilot, it's more a, a, a proof of concept study. And in fact, uh, uh, it suffers a little bit from uh, this uh, point of view. It was uh, conducted in about 100 patients, so a limited number of patients, not extremely well characterized, the reason being that there's been multi-center and that the eosinophilic phenotype of COPD has not been precisely selected. And that has been powered on exacerbation and is negative on exacerbation. Shows some trend on lung function, on quality of life, on symptoms, but it's basically negative on exacerbations. This should not discourage uh, from uh, continuing studying COPD. The history of uh, the anti-IL-5 drugs in asthma has uh, been characterized by years and years on of um, uh, lack of success, I mean negative trials, until the phenotype was identified. I think that uh, the same story has to be done uh, with the COPD, possibly shorter, so the next study will have to be designed more precisely, and particularly the population, the target population, should be more carefully selected. In the asthma study, why was the cutoff point of eosinophils of 300 cells per microliter used? And do you think that is a good biomarker to be used in the future? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there is there are several uh, biomarkers of eosinophilic inflammation. In fact, the study was designed according to a, a, a marker of eosinophilic inflammation, composite marker of eosinophilic inflammation that was developed by the company that promoted the study that turned out not to be as good as the simple circulating eosinophils. You know, the, the beauty of the, the, the blood uh, eosinophil is that it's simple. Everybody can, die, can do it. It's very well standardized. I think that uh, actually one of the main findings of the study is that these 300, at least in asthma, can be used as, uh, as a good uh, uh, marker uh, to identify those subjects. It's simple, can be done uh, in several centers. Even the simple sputum cell is not that simple. I mean, it requires uh, a, a good laboratory. It's uh, time-consuming. It's costly. Peripheral blood can be done by any uh, laboratory. So I think that is good. And it compares. It relates pretty well with the, with the, with the sputum. Just wanted to check that, how blood and sputum is in a full compare as biomarkers. Is one, be one better than the other? Of course, uh, we all prefer to identify the, the marker in the target tissue. So sputum would be better. But uh, sputum, believe it or not, uh, to, be, um, to provide reliable data has to be done very carefully. And this is extremely time consuming and, uh, and requires uh, a lot of uh, you know, technical skills. So the agreement is reasonably solid, uh, reliable uh, to be transferred to the clinical practice for 300 uh, cells using a field per microliter of peripheral blood. But in the COPD study, the primary endpoint was not achieved, was it? And why do you think that was? Small sample size, a different role for eosinophilia inflammation in COPD? Yeah, my, my opinion is that the main problem with that uh, 
study was that the, the population was not uh, adequately selected. They did identify subjects that historically had uh, sputum eosinophilia, but they, that was not confirmed in more than one-third of patients at the moment of recruitment. And, uh, you know, the, the, the consistency of the, uh, of the phenotype is very important. The second is that uh, only one uh, um, uh, exacerbation was used as a screening criteria, where in, in asthma there were two to six exacerbations. Third, the exacerbation of COPD are different from the one of asthma. In asthma, it's uh, probably uh, more precisely identified. Either it's a viral infection or is an allergen. In COPD, there might be different uh, causes, including bacterial infection. A significant proportion of patients were identified to have an exacerbation because they took antibiotics. So it's, it's likely that they had a, a bacterial infection. So that's, uh, these are the several reasons that probably explain the negative data on the um, um, COPD trial. Indeed. And final question, uh, Professor Fabry. Thank you very much for explaining these trials so clearly. What do these findings mean for clinical practice and, and what happens next in terms of research or clinical guidelines? Yeah, for COPD, I would say at the moment, nothing. I mean, it's, uh, for the moment, uh, we need to explore further, identify the phenotype. It's a very interesting, novel approach. Uh, that deserve attention, but uh, in the clinical practice, this will not change uh, the attitude. We already are um, using the eosinophilic phenotype to identify those who respond to steroids, and for the time being, that's enough. For asthma, it's a very good news. I mean, we have an additional tool to address a very difficult population, that is uh, the population of asthmatics uh, who have severe asthma, uh, resistant to steroids, eosinophilic, that respond beautifully to these new drugs. And this is good news for the clinician and, more importantly, is good news for the patient. Well, it's been terrific speaking to you. Professor Leo Fabry on the line. You're currently in Milan. We're speaking to you. Uh, many thanks indeed for speaking to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Thank you for the privilege you gave me to serve. Thank you very much.